Seated, that's exciting stuff, isn't it? I'm JR, one of the pastors here, and man, I'm delighted to be here with you this morning, and we're excited that you've taken time out of your schedule uh, to join us. We're continuing our series. This is actually, is this our 10th week, Leah? 11th week, where we've been studying through the book of Acts, and we've been focusing on the theme of learning to love our neighbors. And uh, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to realize that some of us are better at loving others than others, right? For some of us, it's, it's an easier thing to do. For, for some of us, it's difficult. But you don't have to live in life very long to realize that there are tough people in every one of our lives that it's difficult to love, let alone like. Amen? And how many of you have those kind of people in your lives? Well, this morning we're going to look at Acts chapter 9, and we're going to look at the conversion of a man who would become the apostle to the Gentiles, a man by the name of Paul. So grab your Bibles, and I want to invite you to turn with me to Acts chapter 9. And while you're doing that, I I want to remind you that there's a sermon cell inside all of your bulletins so you can go deeper in this study with friends and family or even a cell group if, if you're meeting with them. But I want you to... I want to invite you to, once you've found Acts chapter 9, I want to invite you to close your eyes a minute, and I want you to go back and search out some memories. And it's very, very just appropriate this morning, since Brody's just professed his faith, but I want you to close your eyes and see if you can remember when you first became aware of the fact that God was intentionally pursuing you. When was it that your eyes were opened and your heart understood that the love of God was drawing you close, that he was in pursuit of you. My earliest memory, you can open your eyes now. My earliest memory is when I was was eight years old. I was in a little Assembly of God church out in western Kansas, and in the Assembly of God tradition, every Sunday people go forward, and not to get saved. I mean, they always give that altar call too, but to pray to pray for one another. I grew up in a, in a home where one of my fondest memories of my mother would be just standing at the kitchen sink washing dishes, and she's a beautiful vocalist and, and pianist. She, she actually made an album back in the 80s. My, my mom used to travel all over, but she would be washing dishes and singing, and then all of a sudden it would be very, very common for me to see this. I, all of a sudden she'd begin to cry. She'd begin to experience the presence of the Lord, and she would just drop the dish rag, and with soap still dripping from her hand, she'd just stand at the sink like this. And the memory that I have, having walked away from that, is that she loved Jesus. I was very fortunate to, to grow up with somebody like that, and uh, it'll be a sad day, the day that the Lord takes my mom home. In fact, uh, they're aging, and uh, they sent me a poem here the other day because I can tell they're, they're reflecting on their last years in life. And they sent me a poem called The Back Nine, and my folks aren't golfers. And it just talked about kind of, you know, finishing life strong and, 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 and finishing things up and, and uh, just doing life well. And I responded back to my dad, and I said, Dad, I, just, I want you to remember something. Uh, you may have a number of years left. But I said, I want you to remember that the day that the Lord does call you home, in heaven, in the blink of an eye, I said, be looking at the gates because I'll be right behind you, right? I mean, sometimes we live in in this vacuum, this thing called called life that we we just, we, we miss 
sometimes the presence of God that is pursuing us in every area of our life. And I just want to encourage you this morning. I want you to walk away from here this morning with the encouragement that God is so aware of every dynamic that is taking place in your life, every person who has been a part, who is a part, and who will ever be a part, that he's already taking everything into consideration and that he is working to love you in such a way that he draws you to the heart of the Father. This is what we see in our story this morning in Acts chapter 9 with the Apostle Paul. Acts chapter 9, reading at verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and he went to the high priest, and he asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way that was the early church, whether men or women, he might take them prisoners at Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him, and he fell to the ground, and then he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul responded by saying, Who are you, Lord? And the response was, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go to the city, and you'll be told what you're supposed to do. And the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They, they heard a sound, but they didn't see anyone. So Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. And for three days he was blind and didn't eat or drink anything. When you look at, when we're introduced to Saul in this part of the story, we see a picture of a man who's zealous. We see a picture of a man who's driven by the conviction that what he's actually doing for God by persecuting the church, by eradicating believers, is actually serving God. If you would have approached Saul at that time and asked him what on earth he was doing, I think he would have looked at you and said maybe something like this, are you, are you kidding me? Seriously. Jesus is dead. And there's, there's not a rabbi, there's not a seriously trained religious man who would believe in the right mind that God would take somebody who was cursed on a tree and turn him into our Messiah. Get out of here, really. And, and these, this, these newfound believers, this little movement that's growing and just exploding everywhere called the way, they might be telling everybody that they're preaching in the name of Jesus and doing miracles in the name of Jesus, but we're the religious leaders, and we know from whom their power really comes. It doesn't come from God. They're possessed of Beelzebub from Satan, just like their leader was. I think that's what Saul would have said. How'd you like to have had a neighbor like that? I was going to ask you, how many of you have neighbors like that? No, don't do that. Just leave leave your hands down. Sometimes it's difficult to love everybody, and sometimes it's almost impossible to like others. But this becomes a guy that another person in our story this morning is sent to. He's sent to love this guy. He's sent to minister to this guy. But a little more about Saul. One of the things that impresses me about Saul is that this is a guy who's all in, man. He believes that in everything that he's doing, he's fully vested. He's not in halfway. And it's a very different picture from a lot of modern Western Christians that I've experienced in the last 30 years who just kind of fiddle with Christianity. And yeah, you know, here's, a, here's a comment that I've heard more the last 15 years than, than my whole life. Yeah, Pastor JR, I'm a Christian. I believe, and I know what the Bible says, but here's what I believe. That's what they tell me. I'm a Christian. I know what the Bible says, but here's what I believe. Probably all of us fall in that category. 
in some areas in our lives. And certainly, Saul did. But there's something that disappointed me about Saul, too. Despite his great learning, because we discovered that he studied at the feet of Gamaliel, one of the, one of the most one of the greatest teachers of the time. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I mean, Saul was to the, to the Pharisees what Michael Jordan and LeBron James are, or what Michael Jordan was and what LeBron James is to the NBA. He was a head taller than everybody else. He was, he was bright. He was schooled. He was, he was just used to being right. Any of you ever like to be told or shown that you're wrong? I mean, I know I don't. And I know the older that I get, I'm just, I'm just kind of amazed that I, of, of how controlling I can sometimes be with my life. But despite this great learning, Saul was spiritually blind. But he wasn't unlike a lot of his colleagues and peers that he was in ministry. Jesus had the rock had become a stumbling stone over which Saul and all of the other Pharisees had stumbled. He'd wasted the churches in Judea already. Already, This trip to Damascus was just one of many that he'd launched out on. He'd, he'd arrested men and women. He'd had a number of people put to death. And then he got authority from the high priest to go as far as Damascus from Jerusalem. That was like a foreign land. I mean, he was passionate about it. This was, this was no small undertaking. But here's where the good news comes in. Everybody say good news. <laughs> Men, I love this. And I hope this ministers to your heart the way that it does mine. You ever felt like you're, a, you're an outsider to an insider group and everybody's winning but you? I, I kind of think that's what's, what's going on here. I think these Christians who had met Jesus were being pushed outside. And sometimes when it seems as if though the outsiders are winning, never forget that God is always in the mix working to perform and perfect His will in the lives of those who love Him. It looked bad for the church. I mean, it had gotten so bad that the church in Jerusalem had to split up. It forced everybody to go back to their homes and, and Saul was following them and persecuting them everywhere that they had gone and quite a movement had grown and started in Damascus. But here's one of the things that Saul's story teaches us and it's the first point that I want you to take home. That it's the love of God that draws us close. That God doesn't waste anything. He, he, he doesn't miss a trick. He doesn't miss a person. He doesn't miss a conversation, a, a right or wrong choice. He uses it all draw us closer to the heart of the Father. And there's nothing that escapes His eyes and no plan that can avert His divine intentions. Let me tell you, if your success in this life is built on anything less than Jesus' blood and righteousness, you're going to be disappointed. True success in life comes from discovering God's call upon your life and giving your life to live that out. Even what the Jewish leaders and Paul meant to do by striking down the, be the beginnings of the early church. When we read this story, God turns it around and Saul, the very man who's given authority to go out and arrest the believers, is the one who has a face-to-face -face with Jesus and himself is arrested and drugged blind into the city of Damascus. 
God turned it around. So you might think you're in control, but control is an illusion. He's on a mission. He's going to stamp out this newly found way, and all of a sudden, a, a bright light shines from heaven. He and everybody who's with him is knocked to the ground. When he gets to Damascus, he spends three days in fasting and prayer. And it's in this time of prayer that the Lord gives him a vision. The Lord shows him that a man by the name of Ananias is going to come to his house, the house that he's staying in, and that he's going to lay his hands on him, that he's going to receive his sight, and that he's going to be filled with with the Holy Spirit, and be told that he's a chosen instrument of God to carry the gospel of Jesus Christ before the Gentiles. And I can tell you that it was a day of discovery for Saul when he had his first face-to-face with Jesus. Now, Saul probably didn't have that in his iPhone schedule, that he was going to meet with Jesus at noon, but God had that divine appointment on his books. One of the things that he discovered, he discovered that Jesus was alive. And he discovered that he was wrong. And it forced him into a place of repentance where he had to admit that he was wrong and he had to admit that he was sorry. I believe we live in a time that I believe Christians are always in need of repentance. Saying, God, I'm sorry. And if I didn't learn how to say I'm sorry to Miss Terry, we'd never made it this 40 years. Huh? Huh? We can get pretty pig-headed doing relationships, can't we? Huh? If you can't say amen, say oh me. <laughs> we can. We can get pretty pig-headed. We can even be a little, a little mean to one another. And as hard as it is for, for us to oftentimes say we're sorry, I, I think knowing who Saul was a Pharisee, a man who prided his life on self-righteousness and good works. It had to be difficult for him to admit he was wrong. He had to admit that Jesus was the Messiah and discover that everything that he'd learned in his life pointed to Jesus being the fulfillment of that. One of life's constants upon which you can depend is that there's never been any time in your life when the love of God has not actively been pursuing you. Never. God has always been there. And He's always there to draw you closer. And there will never be a time that He's not there. In verse 10, we find the second part of this story. In Damascus, there was a disciple by the name of Ananias, and the Lord called to him in a vision, and he said, Ananias. This is happening at the same time that, that Saul is praying. He said, yes, Lord. He said, the Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. And in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. And Lord Ananias answered, hey, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm that he's done to your saints in Jerusalem and how he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I'll show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and he entered, placing his hands there in Saul, and he said, 
What did he say? What's those words say? What are those two words? Brother Saul. The Lord Jesus, whom appeared to you on the road as you were coming, has sent me to you that you may again be filled with the Holy Spirit and see. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. And after taking some food or after having supper, he regained his strength. You know, the call of God changes us. God's love draws us close to the heart of the Father. But it doesn't stop there. He draws us close so that He can reveal to us the call and the plans that He has for our life. You don't get to go through life as a Christian just idling by. God has calls and plans for each and every one of us to fulfill. Divine appointments are on His calendar. might not be in your iPhone yet, but it's on God's calendar. Meetings that you'll have with people. Conversations that you'll have with people. Arguments that you'll have with people. Because God, see, exists in the past, the present, and the future simultaneously. But he chooses a man by the name of Ananias, and we never hear of him again. He's a very astute man. He's a respected man. He's a follower of Jesus. And we're not told how he comes, Brody, to make his profession of faith, but we do know that he is a believer. And he says, hey, I'm bringing a guy here and I want you to minister to him. And what's Ananias' response? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you kidding me? We've heard about this guy. He's, he's backed by the high council in Jerusalem. He's been killing people, Jesus, everywhere. And you want me to go to him? I'm not even a church leader. See, the love of God just doesn't change the people who we think are on the wrong side. It changes us. The love of God draws us close to reveal to us the true call, the real plans that God has for us in our lives. One of the things that Ananias' story does for us is that it reminds us of how eager we are to say we're ready to serve the Lord. But then when we really get our marching orders and we really understand what God is calling us to do, what loving our neighbor really means, we're not as always eager to follow through with a life of obedience. It's easy to say, amen, brother. I believe that. Easy to underline our Bibles. It becomes a whole other ball game when the rubber begins to hit the road. And God asks us to begin to live that out. You ever had a a Saul of Tarsus in your life (laughs) and been asked to love them? What I love about Ananias is that he's so, he's so predictable. He's kind of like us. People who are always eager to say that we're available to God's call, but like Ananias, we're not, we're not always anxious to respond to it. And maybe you can relate. I can relate. As I look back over my life, there are lots of things I've gotten excited about and I've never followed through on. And so one of the questions that I have to ask us as a congregation is what is God asking of us in light of loving our neighbors? I mean, really, what's he asking of you? 
One of the values around here that we live by and that Pastor Kent's big arm is a saying. We say that words matter. And when, when Ananias called Saul brother, I think that was an icebreaker. Saul was the enemy. And he just didn't stop with the verbal affirmation. He actually reached out and he touched him. It was an, an intentional language and an intentional touch that began to release the very love of God that was in the heart of Ananias that was given to him by God because God's love draws us close to his heart so that he can reveal to us the, the call and the plans that he has on our lives. And his desire then is to take us deeper so that we just don't keep it in here. We share it with others. I wish I had more time. I, I got a couple of really good stories that would illustrate that in my life. I was involved, though, in a situation one time that would have taken another man's life. And God intervened and prevented it. When he was done, he was filled with the Spirit. His eyes were opened. And immediately, the Bible says in verses 20 through 25, that he went right back into the synagogues and now he began to argue on Jesus' side. And not just argue, man, they took their stellar debater. And now he was debating for Jesus, convincing everybody that Jesus really was the Christ. And I want you to know that God can use you to love your neighbors. There's three things I want you to take home with you. First of all, I want you to know that God can use the most obscure Christian to do something extraordinary. You might not be Saul who becomes the Apostle Paul and writes two-thirds of the New Testament, but I'm okay with being Ananias. We should never be afraid to obey the plan that God reveals to us, ever. <laughs> because it's his plan. You think Ananias would have came up with that plan on his own to go see Saul of Tarsus? But he trusted him. And what we learn from that is God is always working at both ends. He took two people who thought they were right from two different perspectives and brought them together. And they recognized one another as brothers. And finally, we underestimate the value of one person. Peter ministered to thousands on the day of Pentecost. Philip went to Samaria and ministered to crowds and throngs of people. Ananias was sent to one guy. <laughs> but it was the guy that God would use to open up the gospel to the world. You never know what's taking place in the conversation that you're having with the person you may be sharing a conversation with. <laughs> Amen? I want to teach you a song this morning. It's a song that I used to do when I led worship for a lot of years. And, but it's a song that shares the heartbeat of this message. That God is so in control of us and our lives in this world 
that before one of our days came into being, they were ordered of the Lord. And it reminds us that we can trust Him, that we can serve with joy, and that we can love others, even those who are very different than us, confidently with God's love. It's called So You Would Come. Sing it with me if you know it. Second time through, I think you'll catch on. Hallelujah, Father.
everything was done. It was all done so we would come. Amen. What a loving promise. One of the ways that we apply the discovery of God's love for us, that it's a plan that He's using to draw us close to His heart and and to reveal to us what He wants to do with our lives, is so that He can take us deeper. And as we live out this this thing called Christian life, sometimes we're depleted and our resources run low, we lose our vision, we lose our drive, and God's given the church the celebration of the Lord's Supper to strengthen us, to help us renew the forgiveness that's always ours, to live a life free of condemnation. I just want to invite you as our elders now come, you just bow your heads. And in a time of reflection, just invite the Holy Spirit into your life and ask Him to help you do kind of a personal inventory. And if you need to, I want to invite you to invite God to forgive you and to practice what we learned about this morning. night that Jesus was with his disciples he took a loaf of bread and after he broke it he blessed it and he gave it unto them saying this is my body which is given for you